Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hi everyone. Well done for getting to church on an October long weekend on a hot night. Um, let's, let's get into it together. Have a look at this quote uh, from a guy called C.S. Lewis. Uh, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Um, there's something about suffering, isn't there, that gets your attention, uh, that says there's something wrong, what are you thinking about it, what is God doing about it? Uh, it, it wakes you up to reality and it's for Christians and for those who aren't Christians alike. In fact, it's even for Christians who take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We'll see that tonight with Paul. But let me tell you a story. A guy that grew up in my home church, uh, a godly man uh, who decided, I want to go into ministry. Uh, And so he went to Bible college in Sydney. Uh, He spent three or four years there. He decided, I actually want to do uh, mission work overseas. I want to take the good news of Jesus to Africa. He was particularly gifted in uh, linguistics, so he did linguistics studies after college and, and some training on how to be a missionary. Altogether, I think it was 12 years of training uh, before he left for Africa. He was invol- involved in this incredibly exciting project to bring the the New Testament to a new group of people in Africa who'd never received the Bible in their own language. Amazing. Uh, Several terms into this project, though, he has a relational difficulty in the team, which means he's got to come home. And he comes home not just for a break, uh, but he comes home for good. Uh, Never to return there again, uh, never to be involved in that project again. And it's moments like that you go, how does that fit into God's plan? How does that possibly work in God's plan? Uh, Closer to home, uh, here I am, been been at Salt for three and a half years. Uh, It's things that have affected us here at Salt, uh, both at 10am but also here at 5. So uh, people who are chronically sick, uh, marriages that are really struggling and breaking down, Uh, Conflict within families, uh, mental illness, uh, abuse, uh, drug and alcohol addictions, toxic workplaces, uh, unemployment and and the uncertainty with that and the self-doubt that follows with that, uh, loved ones who are dying. Uh, It's all reality of, of our life as Christian people. And you've got to ask yourself, how does all that fit into God's plan? Uh, what good could God bring from those things? Uh, why does God allow those things to happen? So here we are, we're almost at the end of our journey in the book of Acts. Um, come with me, it's a hot night, but we're going to go, follow it through in, in two chapters tonight. Uh, what, what's, what's been happening? This is the history of God's unstoppable plan uh, to see the gospel go out to the ends of the earth. And we're almost there. Tonight we see Paul on his final leg uh, towards Rome. Uh, And here's the first thing I want to say. Paul's life uh, was marked by suffering. Um, So listen to these words from Paul 
Uh, they're actually spoken on one of his journeys as he writes to the Corinthian church between Ephesus and Corinth. Uh, he's writing, his, uh, before he sets sail to Jerusalem, here's what he writes. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Apart from that, it's all been good, yeah? (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? There is his life. There is what, it, what it's been like for him. And then he gets to Jerusalem. Do you remember the last few weeks as we're looking at what's happening where he turns up to cities and riots erupt? Uh, he gets to Jerusalem and there's fellow Jews literally wanting to kill him, uh, literally wanting to tear his body apart. There's 40 men who make a vow, I won't eat or, I won't eat or drink anything until the Apostle Paul is dead. Uh, He's beaten, he's falsely imprisoned, uh, and last week we saw over a two-year period, he goes through five trials uh, for crimes that he never committed. And tonight's passage is Paul as a prisoner heading off to Rome to be tried in court in Rome. And if you were Paul, surely you'd think, I think God's done enough, we've gone through enough suffering, but there's actually more to come. Um, so Luke is on the journey with him, and have a look at the map here, uh, you'll see the journey that's ahead of him in these two chapters. It's a massive journey from Caesarea, bottom right, down near Jerusalem, um, past Cyprus, on, onto Crete, finally onto Italy, onto the, onto the land of Italy, and then up to Rome. It's a journey, it's about the equivalent of sailing from Wollongong Harbour to Cairns, uh, or, or participating in the Sydney to Hobart yacht race three times, okay? And probably uh, just as rough in terms of conditions. Um, so final destination is Rome. Very strategic place is Rome. Rome is the centre of the known world. All roads lead to Rome, literally. Uh, if the gospel takes root in Rome, uh, God's promise that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth will actually happen because from there everything... Um, goes out. And here we are, Acts chapter 27, so open it up with me. It is an appalling journey that he's about to go on. Um, So those first uh, first third of chapter 27, uh, he's he's in terrible weather conditions, Uh, he's making very slow progress, Uh, it is is a journey fraught with danger, Uh, there's a whole lot of uncertainty along the way, they don't even know whether they're going to get to safety, let alone uh, to their destination in Rome. And the whole way along, there's this constant threat of the loss of life. And so that's the kind of journey that he's on. And by the time they reach, uh, they arrive in Crete, uh, they've wasted so much time that the winds have now picked up, it's the winter season, now no one would go out in their sailing ship, they are in serious trouble. Um, in fact, have a look on the map here. Uh, they get to a place called Fair Havens. 
which I reckon sounds like a retirement village, uh, but it's nothing like that. It's, it's crazy weather. Uh, they're, they're, in, they're fearing for their life. Look, look down in verse 9 and you'll see where it's at. Uh, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our lives also. And what happens? They ignore Paul's advice. Uh, they keep pressing on. The ship gets uh, caught in a hurricane. Uh, the crew try to take control, so they're throwing cargo overboard. Um, 14 days, the ship is being battered and blown around across the open sea. Um, everyone on board uh, is fighting for their survival. And then you read in verse 20 these words. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Can you imagine being on that ship? Can you imagine um, out in the open sea and it's literally, we are about to die. There is no more hope. And you think, how does that, for the Apostle Paul, fit into God's plan? You can't say that Paul's on a dream run, can you? Uh, has Paul ever been on a dream run? Has Paul ever lived his best life now? Paul says, follow my example as I follow the Lord Jesus. Whatever you make of that, uh, you could never conclude that the life of a disciple of Jesus is going to be easy. It wasn't for Paul, it wasn't for Jesus. It's actually quite the opposite, isn't it? And here's the first thing I want to say tonight. Our weakness compels us to depend on God's strength. There's the first point for tonight. And this is something Paul just kept learning had, and had already learnt. In fact, the chapter before uh, one, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, sorry, the chapter after 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul cries out to Jesus and Jesus gives him this answer. Have a look. Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. They are extraordinary words, aren't they? How can you possibly say, I will boast in my weaknesses? I will delight in persecutions, in difficulties, in hardships. Well, it's because when I am weak, then I am strong in God. See, what's, what's Jesus doing? Jesus is using the suffering in Paul's life, the trials, the sufferings, not to derail his faith, but to actually strengthen his faith. And what's happening for Paul is he's realising more and more and more, I am weak, but God is strong. I need to, to rest and lean on him more and more and more. And so you think about, think about the difficult times in your life, think about the crisis in your life, if you've, if you've got that crisis. What's that crisis about? That crisis is about God teaching you you're not in control. Jesus is in control. You need to surrender to him you are weak, 
but God is strong. And I wonder whether you've learnt that yet. I wonder whether some of you might be experiencing that crisis right now. Um, For some of you, you need to understand these very things so that you're prepared for when the crisis does come. You actually need to have a healthy, uh, Jesus-shaped expectation of suffering. Um, Don't let anyone tell you that somehow the Christian life will be easy. Suffering is part of the fallen world. We heard that from uh, Steve and Nat on the interview. Uh, that actually everyone faces suffering. It's, it's part of living in a fallen world. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, there's actually extra difficulties as you follow Jesus uh, in this world. Now, praise God if that's not you at the moment. Praise God if you're not feeling that, that crisis at the moment. Uh, be thankful. Praise God for it. Have that heart that says, thank you so much for my health, for my safety, for my food, for my shelter... Because what's the alternative to that? The alternative to that is arrogant entitlement, isn't it? That actually I'm entitled to a good life, uh, every, I deserve for everything to go well for me, and when it doesn't, I will be shattered. What is, uh, if you're going through it though, what, is, what does Paul learn? When we are weak, God is strong. Depend on Him. Well, back to the voyage... Uh, There's Paul on a boat, it's a terrifying storm and yet Paul speaks up. Look at verse 21, look look at what he says. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. See what's happened? When everyone else has lost hope, Paul speaks with composure and confidence. Uh, That's my second point. God's promises bring composure and courage in the midst of chaos. Have a look in verse 23. Last night, an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and and whom I serve stood beside me, uh, said Paul, and the angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. See what Paul's saying? Despite the circumstances, I'm going to trust God's word. I'm going to trust what God has said. There is difficult times ahead But everyone else is petrified of dying. And what is Paul? Paul is bold, he is confident, he's composed. In fact, you notice in this chapter, Paul, you you kind of almost forget, Paul is a prisoner amongst hundreds of other people on this ship. And yet he's emerged as the leader. People listen to him. Um, So verse 31, uh, he insists that the sailors stay with the ship. Uh, instead of abandoning the ship. Verse 34, he urges everyone in compassion to eat uh, just before they, they shipwreck uh, and then the ship smashes into a sandbar. Um, they want to kill, the, the, the soldiers want to kill all the prisoners and Paul says, no, the centurion intervenes and listens um, and then all, all the men on the ship manage to scramble, to swim and scramble to shore eventually when they get shipwrecked on Malta. 
I think what you're meant to see is this massive contrast between Paul and everyone else on the ship. That who is the one who is calm and confident uh, because he's heard from God and believes God and trusts God? See, they all feel the gut-wrenching nausea of the pounding sea and the rain and the wind for 14 days. They all experience the, the terror of um, running aground and jumping uh, into the surging seas to get to safety. They're all scared, but there's something different about Paul, isn't it? There's a confidence and there's a courage with Paul because he trusts God's word to, to him. He has a purpose, he has a plan. He's brave, he's confident because he's listened and trusted God's word. And I want to say, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that's the kind of confidence that you should have. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. It don't, doesn't mean it won't be gut-wrenching. But it does mean you can be brave and confident. Because reality is, we don't know the details of our lives to come, do we? We don't know what suffering will come. We don't want to think about that. Uh, all kinds of things will happen. Um, the Bible tells us that. And, you know, experience tells me that. Um, sometimes when I, I look at Salt Church, I, or it reminds me of, of the church I was part of when I was a student minister in Sydney, which is now 23 years ago. That's how old I am. Um, and there I am uh, as a student minister in this uh, family congregation in the morning and, uh, you know, young adults, and uh, young workers at, in the evening, uh, very much like Salt Church And here we are, 23 years on, and we still get messages across all those years from uh, members of that congregation uh, who are still there. But you know what? Often those messages are messages of uh, people who are suffering. Um, And it's a message of uh, Michael and Natalie, I hope you're going well. Just need to let you know, Julianne has throat cancer and she doesn't have long to live. Um, I'm not sure whether you're aware, her husband died of a brain tumour several years before. And you sometimes think about the couples that were part of that congregation and you think, John and Kylie, wonder what happened to them? And you hear um, they've actually, their marriage is split up because Kylie has such significant mental illness that now uh, the children live with their father. Or you get a message to say, can you please pray for Micah we're not sure uh, whether he still follows Jesus. Um, the lead pastor, uh, when he was the age that I am now, he developed uh, early onset Alzheimer's uh, and he died before his retirement. Um, shortly before that, the assistant minister died of a heart attack when he was 50 on his bike raising money for Bike for Bibles. Uh, I don't know whether that congregation is all that different, uh, but it's just part and parcel of life that suffering will come. And God's promises are what brings confidence and composure for us. Let me remind you of some of those promises. Here's, here's a passage that I preach at funerals, but it's incredibly encouraging for us all, even tonight. John 14, do not, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. There's a beautiful promise from Jesus. Or Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, we, we know that in all, thing God, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And it goes on to talk about we're being shaped and conformed to the likeness of Jesus in all things. Or Hebrews chapter 13, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? If you believe the promises of God, they will bring a calmness, a composure, a confidence. But you do need to believe them. You do need to trust them. Uh, You will need to let them sink deep within you. Uh, It won't happen by accident. Uh, As we heard um, from Stephen and Natalie in the interview, what is it that brings a calmness, a composure, in the midst of great grief... Actually, for years, they've believed the promises of God. Uh, So they're confident God's in control. They're confident that God is with them and is working for good in their situation. They're confident of their ultimate destination. They're confident that in the meantime, God is shaping them to be more like Jesus and bringing glory to his name. In fact, um, when I visited the Irvines... Uh, and I've, I've caught up with, with Steve on a number of occasions, I've thought to myself, what is it that I want to speak to him about? And I had a whole list of things that I'd want to hear from the Bible. And then as the conversation unfolded, he started saying those things to me. <laughs> and I was just, you've been thinking about these things, you've been listening to God's Word, you've been trusting Him, uh, you've let the promises of God sink deep within your heart for years... And now you are confident in him, even though you're filled with grief. God's promises bring composure and courage. Now, let me, let me take you to the last part of the journey and, and, and my final point. The, the ship drifts now all the way, have a look at the map again, all the way across the Mediterranean. So from that island in the middle, Crete, all the way across to Malta uh, on the left-hand side, which is the tiniest of islands. Who's been to Malta? No one. Apparently, it is absolutely beautiful. Um, So now we're in chapter 28, and here is the tiniest of islands uh, off Sicily, off Italy. A Maltese friend of mine said, uh, if Italy is the boot, Sicily is the football, and Malta is the mud that flicks off the boot. Uh, That's that's how tiny uh, Malta is. And I reckon what we're seeing here at Malta, here's the last point, the gospel transforms the way you think about sickness. Um, so lean into this last point with me. They're shipwrecked, they, they scramble to shore, so um, uh, beginning at chapter 28, and the Maltese islanders aren't Christian, but they show unusual kindness. They welcome Paul and they welcome the others. Uh, amidst the, the rain and the cold, the shipwrecked crew, they gather together uh, with the islanders around a, a a fire to get warm and as Paul 
gathers firewood, a snake latches onto his hand. Uh, picture that image, it's dangling from his hand. The Maltese see the, the snake dangling from his hand, they know it's poisonous and look what they say in verse 4 to one another. This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. So the islanders don't know the Bible. Uh, they're like many faiths in the world. They believe that bad things happen to bad people. Um, and so like many in the Roman Empire, they believe in the Roman gods. They believed in the goddess of justice. Uh, so she was the daughter of Zeus. Uh, she was the, the, the goddess that made sure that justice was executed across the Roman world. Uh, she was Ms. Payback, if you like, uh, making sure that everyone got exactly what they deserve in life. And so what are they thinking? They're thinking, Paul has uh, been saved from the shipwreck, but Ms. Payback hasn't allowed him to live now uh, because he's been bitten by a snake. He had this coming uh, for him. He must have been a murderer. He must have done something absolutely awful. Uh, It's a bit like a soldier I heard who survived three years in the Changi prison of war camp, uh, came to Australia only to be killed by a tram in Melbourne and people said, there is karma. He must have done something awful. He didn't, uh, he didn't, he wasn't uh, being punished enough in the prison of war camp. He died in Melbourne under a tram. It's called karma, right? It's, it's what you, it's that idea of you reap what you sow. Uh, you do bad things, bad things will come to you. Uh, it's still popular today, isn't it? But it is an incredibly cruel belief. See, what does it mean? It means every time you see a disabled person, every time you see a sick baby, they are suffering for past sins. It always treats victims as guilty. It's awful. Uh, it's believed by all lots of people around the world, including Malta, still believe it today. In fact, uh, 2004, there was a massive tsunami that hit Asia. Uh, Lots of Hindu and Buddhist communities uh, were still prepared to say, and there was a very well-known Hindu cleric who stood up and said, these people died, uh, over 200,000 of them, because of what they've done in this life. Uh, That's where karma takes you. And God says something very, very different in the Bible. Uh, well, sure, suffering and death come as a result of sin in Genesis 3. Uh, we to be very clear, uh, as suffering happens, it's not the result of particular sin in someone's life. You can't always draw that line, this person is suffering because of this sin they committed. Uh, the Bible makes that really clear. Uh, in fact, uh, in the book of Job, uh, we, 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 we see that it's actually a compliment from God that Job suffers. Uh, that's part of the message of Job. In the Gospels, Jesus comments, he's, he's grilled on what about these tragedies uh, where lives were lost? Uh, were not those people more guilty? And Jesus said, absolutely not. Uh, they are no worse and you are no better. Uh, repent for the judgment is coming, which will, will be far worse. And then Jesus also comments on a man born blind and people come to him and say, did this man sin or was it his parents? And Jesus says, no, neither. 
uh, this man was born blind to show the glory of God. So the Bible's really clear. Uh, it, is, it is not speaking about karma at all. But here are the Maltese with this belief system. And one moment, did you notice, they're calling Paul a murderer. And the next moment, they're calling him a god. Uh, when he survives the snake bite, have a look down in verse 5. They actually want to worship him. So Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So they thought he was a murderer. Then they think he's a god. That is incredibly fickle, isn't it? Shifting their minds about what's going on here. And it just goes to show, isn't it, when you don't have the Bible you will keep jumping to the wrong conclusions. Uh, You'll constantly be at the mercy of superstitions, which lead to fear and suspicion. And what does Paul do? Paul brings a very, very different message to the Maltese, doesn't he? Uh, We're not told a lot about his gospel ministry here, his word ministry, but we are told about uh, he heals people. uh, And you can... You can assume, like every other place, here is the Apostle Paul doing the ministry of the Apostle, preaching, Jesus has forgiven sins, now he's risen, and healing the sick along the way. And so, Paul speaks to Jesus is now alive, Jesus is now King, and that changes everything. And now you can be restored with God, now you can be forgiven, now there is real hope in the fallenness of this world. Now there's real hope in and through sickness. And now the greatest issue is not the snake bite. It's not losing your job. Uh, It's not cancer. It's actually the judgment to come. See, what's Paul been preaching? God raised a dead man to life as judge of the earth and Jesus will return. Uh, God in the past overlooked such folly, but now he commands all people to repent, to turn from worthless things to follow the living God. And this good news of forgiveness has now come to the islanders of Malta. Uh, They were en route to Rome, which was the strategic place, and God in his kindness has caused them to stop over to the tiniest of islands, the smallest of people the people that no one thought was important, to bring them the good news. Uh, Because that's the nature of the good news, isn't it? The good news is for every nation, big or small. It's actually for every generation. It's actually for you and it's for me. See, they they thought the, the goddess Justice had punished Paul. But Paul would have said to them, no, actually, God is the God of perfect justice. And God will not let sins go unpunished. Uh, It's Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. See, God forgives sin, but no, not one sin will ever be forgiven without being dealt with at the cross by Jesus. That's what Paul preached. Uh, And your sin will either be punished in your body 
or in the body of the Son, Jesus, at the cross. And so, which will it be for you? Either Jesus will carry the weight of the guilt of our sin or we will carry the weight of the guilt of our sin throughout eternity. The cross actually answers that question of God's justice and mercy, doesn't it? God doesn't leave sins unpunished, He is just, He's punished them in Jesus. And at the same time, He can be merciful and kind to us. He can forgive us our sins. Justice and mercy come together, they kiss at the cross. And we don't, we're no longer now living in fear or superstition or karma. Jesus is the great karma buster. The Maltese actually, um, it's interesting, isn't it? They actually got it right when they said Paul was a murderer. Did you pick up that? Uh, he was a murderer and now he is forgiven. Now he's been transformed by Jesus and that changes everything. It is amazing uh, how so many Christians in times of suffering actually revert back to pagan thinking about, about um, sickness uh, when you hear things like, is God punishing me for some sin? That is pagan thinking. Uh, am I reaping what I sowed? That is pagan thinking. Uh, is my infertility, my unemployment, my singleness, um, my cancer, is it payback from God? That is pagan thinking. Um, when instead we need to cast ourselves on God, the Father who loves us, uh, know that he is strong when, when we are weak, that we are a child of God, saved by grace. Well, let's, let's just think about these things again as we finish and I pray. All these situations in life, all these things that are going on, how, do, how does it fit into God's plan? Three things tonight. Uh, our weakness compels us to, to depend on God's strength. Um, So we're to call upon God our Father, we are His children, God loves us, He cares for us, He wants us to call upon Him, He loves us when we lean on Him, when He is shown as strong, when we we are shown as weak. But secondly, God's promises bring composure and courage in the midst of the chaos, God's not going to leave us, He's not going to forsake us, we need to trust Him. Uh, He's shaping us to be like Jesus. We know our ultimate destination is heaven. We can actually face the chaos and the uncertainty with composure and courage. And then thirdly, the gospel transforms the way we think about sickness. The gospel brings real hope. And can I say, before we pray, this is the hope that we hold out to others, yeah? It was was fascinating to hear uh, Natalie speak um, about this hope. And speak about it in context of so many others she knows who are suffering, who don't have that hope. And she's so confident in it and and so knows this is the hope of the world. This is what we need to hold out to people. This is what people need. Um, And so let me encourage you to do that. Uh, we, We live in so much safer times than the Apostle Paul, don't we? We're not doing dangerous, crazy voyages across the Mediterranean Sea. Um... We won't die for inviting someone to Saltfest. Uh, we won't die for inviting someone to the wellness night or bread making or, or come along to life. Uh, we live in a safe place here in Wollongong. 
but so many people need to take that first step. And so I want to encourage you, who are you going to invite? Who are you going to pray for as you share that hope with others? Let's pray.